Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 11 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry, joined today by two great guests who pop up in our October issue. The first is Henry DeLosier, partner at GGA Partners in Arizona and our monthly game plan columnist. Henry has a wonderful column that'll be online in the next few days and in your mailboxes later this month about playing the long game. That's the headline and the subject matter. How do you plan for 2021? And how do you plan for 2022, 2023, and beyond? Henry has five tips in the column, and he shares them as well in this podcast. Some of them are timeless, really, and applicable even after we climb out of this pandemic recovery. The second is Joe Salini, the owner and operator and also architect of Boulder Creek Golf Club in Streetsboro, Ohio, right between Akron and Cleveland. Boulder Creek received rounds of positive attention after it opened in 2002. It was even ranked among the top 10 best new courses across the country by Golf Digest. And Joe has never stopped tinkering with the course. He was working on a troublesome eighth green, among other projects, when I visited him earlier this year. There's a feature about Joe and Boulder Creek DIY from T to Green, among the five stories in our annual construction and renovation package in this current October issue. Our conversation here provides some more insight into just how he got the course up and running and how he has kept it running so well for nearly two decades. Joe Salimi and Henry DeLosier after the break. My first guest today is our game plan columnist, Henry DeLosier, also a partner with GGA Partners out in Phoenix, Arizona. Henry this month wrote about planning for the future, and we're not just talking about 2021 or 2022. This might be years or even a decade out. It's a great column in the October issue. Henry, welcome back to Beyond the Page. How are you doing? Thank you, Matt. I'm sure glad to get to join you today and talk a little bit about what uh, what we're seeing out there that uh, uh, leaders are doing in their club. And my goal always, as I just mentioned before we started recording, is to ask a question and get out of the way. So I'm going to set this up, and, and you talk for as long as you want, because people are here to listen to you, not to me. This column, okay. Forecasting the Future, Planning for the Future, the very first point you make is... Some economists predict that the U.S. economy won't return to pre-pandemic levels, what it was in January, February of this year, until 2023, which could hit some people like a hammer over the head. Golf has had a great year, uh, all things considered. Um, How far out really are you looking when you're talking with people? How far are they looking? And 2023, I mean, that just seems like so far ahead. What, What have you heard? It does seem like a long time, and and I'll declare up front, I'm no economist, and I try to pass myself off as one, Uh, although I try to do my homework, I'm sure what religions to you does, 
and and trying to understand what what's out there, what well, what should we be prepared? And um, what I have noticed is so many of the people whom I know and respect are struggling with the same issue of I I, I develop a plan if I knew what the heck was going to happen. Um, the, but the fact is, the only thing we seem to know for sure is that we don't know for sure. And I started thinking in my own mind, so what are the people doing that really seem to have their heads screwed on straight, who really seem to be looking past the horizon line? And what I came up with was five observations that, that relate to what the, the good thinkers, the steady at their guns kind of people, are doing, and you know, and there are five of them. The first one is uh, the, the club leaders, the golf superintendents, managers. They're really on top of their game. Are looking way into the future, way beyond next year's budget cycle. They're looking well past the, the next, and, and they're thinking about what's going to happen with this game of golf and how people use it. Uh, you're correct. The National Golf Foundation has uh, updated everyone on golf's incredible run through this uh, pandemic cycle, and hopefully that we're making the right moves in golf, that once people have re-engaged with the game, we keep them engaged. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, if you're looking way ahead, uh, you're seeing opportunity in this golf, the increasing participation. Um, we're also seeing new solutions. Who would have ever thought that leading country clubs would be offering takeout service so that you don't eat at the club? And the fact of the matter is that's become a very viable alternative for many clubs. Uh, the other thing that, that I think that we have to be alert to is the business of unemployment. A lot of folks need work. A lot of folks that will come ready roll up their sleeves and dig in. So this is a great opportunity to be upgrading staff and developing long-term staff relationships. You know, one of the things that uh, I emphasize that strikes me is that the good thinkers, the people who are ahead of the game, are taking good care of their people. Mm -hmm. You know, the people are your most valuable source. They're, they're the one thing that keeps everything together and, and frankly makes work worthwhile. Uh, so showing your team members that you are a team, that you're working together, that they matter and that they belong, it's an important thing to do. And it doesn't require some fancy high dollar celebration. It doesn't require some really plastic object you could put on your desk. Those are sometimes fun to have. Simply written, handwritten notes that um, you can send to your team or even more importantly to their families telling them that you are a respected and trusted colleague, that they matter in the work plan of, of the club and the golf course. Those are things that really matter. The other point that I called out, which is one of my favorites, is what I've seen superintendents call family day, where they let the crew bring their family and there's a little bit of a barbecue or a cookout of some kind in the maintenance compound where it's just a chance for crew to show their families, here's where I work, this is my mower, this is where I have lunch, so that uh, spouses, children can 
see that, hey, um, you know, my my parents matter. They, they do something important. I'm thinking of a club I visited out in California, and I was meeting with a manager who said, hey, come with me. I just need to go attend this uh, employee recognition thing. And uh, you would remember, Matt, the program with uh, Will Ferrell uh, as Ron Burgundy. Mm, and in this particular club, they, in this particular club, they uh, give an award. It, you know, in, in other places, it's called the Employee of the Month Award. But at this club, it's called the Ron Burgundy Award. <laughs> and this, the whole thing consists of the manager announcing the employee's name. And there's a cutout up front of Will Farrell as Ron Burgundy. And the manager and the designated employee get their photograph taken next to the cutout. And, you know, it's kind of cheesy and kind of silly until they announced the name of the cook who was going to be so recognized. And as he, you know, naturally when his name was called, his co-workers were calling his name and shouting out for him. And he began to weep. And when he got to the front of the room and kind of collected himself, he said, I told my children I wanted to win this award because to earn the respect of your co-workers is everything. And I thought, man, wish that guy worked for me. Or how nice would it be to be this guy's colleague? Um, that's the kind of spirit you would like to foster with your own crew, with your own team, so that everyone knows that what they do uh, matters. But the third thing I called out in, 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 in the column is to encourage leaders and managers to be alert to what's going on around you. Uh, market conditions are, mm-hmm. are all over the map, but the fact of the matter is more than 7 out of 10 people are expecting to see a decline in the financial health of their own club. That's part of a GGA uh, member survey of some 6,300 uh, club members around the world when we ask them what are they expecting uh, will happen as a result of this coronavirus. And by the way, anyone who wants to read or have that that study is available on the GGA Partners website. Encourage you to to put your hands on it if you wish to have a copy of it. And we will link to that in the online version of the column as well, Henry. Right, and, and the search in in, in uh, new golfers could be a favorable sign for golf, but it does not guarantee success. So everyone's got to get on their game and know that. While we have people's attention, while young folks and women are discovering that going to the golf course is a fun recreational option, uh, we need to keep them. We need to make them feel welcome. We need to show them that um, despite these adverse conditions, that we recognize them and we respect them. But the, the fourth thing that the people who are really on their toes and looking over the horizon line is they're being realistic but they're being preemptive. They're getting ahead of the curve so that they're not sitting around waiting for tonight's news to tell them what they should do next. They're thinking already about what their realistic planning should be for next month, next year, next season. And they're looking at what their revenue capabilities are, and then they're thinking about the overhead that arises from their long-term operation. So um, several steps that I called out is that one of them is reviewing the staffing model and trying to find new efficiencies. Are there 
Are there ways that your staff could do more? Are there ways that you could use your team even more effectively? Are there off-season options where you could get your own crew to be doing work that has heretofore been outsourced to a third-party company? Uh, they're, they're rethinking that work model, that, you know, changing the way they do things. That one of the examples I learned from a superintendent recently was they have flipped um, their mowing schedule so that they're cutting in the afternoon as opposed to in the morning with the heavy dew and trying to get out and stay ahead of the golfers. So, you know, uh, some of those ideas may work and some of them may not. But if you're not willing to rethink the way you've done business for so long, uh, you may be missing some great opportunities. And then um, the, the guys that are really on their toes are paying attention to inventory level. They're not sitting with thousands of dollars uh, in, in a fuel tank somewhere uh, over the winter. They're not sitting with bags and bags of fertilizer that won't get for six months. They're, they're being a lot more careful with how they're spending money. And, of course, every one of us knows that there's always that challenge of, working with your vendors and your suppliers, uh, balancing off, uh, when is it better for the club for me to lay, lay this inventory in and hold it because I got such a deep discount as opposed to waiting and, and only purchasing when you need something. Sure. And then, and then the last really key thing, Matt, that, that I call out and that I identified in the column is um, you're planning for success. The, the, the top performers are expecting the best of themselves and of their crews. And I think that's really important. Now's the time for thinking big uh, because the, the people who take advantage of this pandemic, people who come out of this on the other side and really have some great success will have been thinking about big results, big outcomes, not little small half measures, but they're going to into the challenge bold. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the famous quote attributed to uh, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes when he, he made the observation that whether one chooses as his life work a spade and shovel or whether he decides to try to climb high mountains of accomplishment, he must bring to his work a mighty heart. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the guys that are going to have great success coming out of this pandemic are the ones who demonstrate that they have a mighty heart and that they're willing to shoot for success. And, um, and for me, of all the things that come out of these observations, it's that, that realistic and yet optimistic view of the future because the fact of the matter is most of the people who read your magazine, who read these columns, are people who have big hearts. They got into this business because it's something special to them and they're trying to make it something special for others. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to keep in mind. This is such a wonderful overview of, again, not just next year, but, I mean, you could you could apply this to to any time, really. I mean, it's, it's amplified because of the pandemic and everything that's changed this year, but looking ahead, taking care of people, that never goes out of, out of fashion. Keeping aware of what's going on financially and in the markets being realistic, looking ahead, um, and just planning to be successful. I mean, this this column is written for the time that we are in, but you could you could republish this column, I think, in five years or ten years, and the lessons are are spot on, Henry. 
you, Matt. You know, I, when I was working on this and I got to that last point, it reminded me of uh, my college golf coach at Oklahoma State mm-hmm. University, Lebron Harris, the famous, you know, bulldog. And he, um, whenever we had a chance to win, when, when, whenever we were going out and we were in position either individually or as a team to win, he would always take us to the side and he would say to us, you know, you want to get your hands warm, you got to put them close to the fire. <laughs> you're going to spend your you're going to spend your day today close to the fire. Don't flinch. Get what you went out there to get. And all these years later, I still remember that. If you want to get your hands warm, you got to put them close to the fire. So, you know, we've got a lot of folks working right now who are close to the fire, and I encourage them. Don't don't be discouraged. Know that you know what you're doing and go do it. Wonderful lessons. Henry, what else are you looking forward to in the fourth quarter here and in the first quarter of 2021? Um, It appears to me that this pandemic will continue. I think we're going to start to find maybe vaccines and solutions. And at the same time, back to the head of the column, we still don't know what the outcomes are going to be. We may find what we think are, are, are solutions that prove to not be complete or that have only certain effects. So what I'm looking into 2021 for and saying is be agile, be prepared to shift if you have to shift. Uh, think of that great running back who's got all the moves in the backfield. Um, be prepared for the... That ability to change course and, and seize on new opportunities is gonna be critical. And so for me, that's, that's a real key. Excellent. And you personally, do you have anything going on? Anything you'd like to plug or promote while you're on the podcast, Henry? Oh, heck no. I'm, <laughs> I work done and trying to take good care of the people who are depending upon me. Well, there you go back to, uh, to point number two, taking care of your people. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think that's important. Henry DeLosier, he is our game plan columnist in Golf Course Industry Magazine. If you have not already, check out his column online or in the October issue of the magazine when it shows up at your facility playing the long game, planning for 2021, but 2022 and 23 and for years ahead. Again, some evergreen lessons. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Henry. Going back to when you were being raised the son of an excavator, and I believe you said that you were doing jobs, like big jobs, by the time you were 18. Yes. How did you get into that? Like, was your dad bringing you along to uh, job sites or just teaching you from little on, or or what was that? Uh, From little on, and then I started, I learned how to run equipment, and, uh, you know, I, I worked for my dad's company when I was in junior high school high school in the summers and weekends and I, I you know I was on a lot of big jobs and then eventually I started uh, you know, doing some of the jobs so you were like were you running equipment before you could legally drive a car oh yes, <laughs> yes. okay 
I, I, I knew how to run a lot of equipment. That, that was one of my favorite quotes that you had from our hour together in June. You weren't saying you were better than Pete Dye or any of the other guys, oh. but, but you were just saying, I had a huge head start because Pete Dye couldn't even operate a tractor. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's the one that motivated me after I read my his book that if he could do it, I think I, I, could, I could do it. He was an insurance salesman, and he, he, didn't, he, he didn't know how to run any equipment. And, <laughs> you know, how he did a course was how I thought I could try to do it and, 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 and going out and, 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 and uh, you know, routing the course and, and, and basically really not knowing what it's going to look like till it was done. And uh, he, he's the one that really motivated me that, that, that yes, this, this is how one of the greatest guys in you know, golf course architecture did it. And then you're a one and done guy, never designed a course, probably never designed a course again you say you're 65 or too old for this but you never stop tinkering over here from 97 to 02 when you were building what was the process even like as as a first time and, and only time course designer well when you read the books on golf course design and uh i i, I write quite a few of them uh, the, the the whole key is is to to, to be able to get the routing plan you know, you have to have a good routing plan because if if you if you don't do it right and you start clearing and and and, and taking down all the trees and uh, changing the site and you make a major mistake, it's it's you know like cutting a diamond. You only get one chance. You can't put the pieces back on the diamond. That it, it is what it is, and that's numero uno. It's the routing plan. And, and then once you, you have that right, that it, it's all going to work. And, and that's really, really a hard thing to do because when you're talking about a big piece of property, there's, there's a lot of times that there's all kinds of issues on that property that y you have to work around. It might be gas wells. It might be tank batteries. It might be bad soil. Um, it, there's, there's a lot of issues. And then you start clearing, and you might find that there's some just absolutely beautiful specimen trees. And you say to yourself, you know, we don't want to take this down. So you're going to change, you're going to change the whole based on what, what, what you have in front of you. Uh, all those things come into play. It's, it's really hard, especially like in our area. I mean, if you have a lot of trees and you have a lot of topography, you, you really don't know what you're going to get into. Uh, I, I've nearly lost four or five machines hitting quicksand in, right here in bad ground here wow. uh let's see it's one two three three machines that that were stuck so bad we almost lost them yeah huh. uh, so i mean other parts of the country might not have the same issues that, that we do but uh, those are all factors that come into the routing plan so you know you don't you it, it's great to have some set of drawings but I, I, I don't know how many courses are actually built to the to, to exactly the way the, the the drawings are because of all the site issues. The old carpenter's rule: measure twice, cut once. Compares to for a golf course architect: measure fifty times, cut once. Oh well, you know I took I took about a year um, uh, just doing like the routing and and starting to do the clearing little by little. 
a lot of the experts will tell you that you want to clear three times. You do a simple clearing just to open it up and then you start marking and you do a second clearing and then, then you do a final clearing. And that way you're not going to make mistakes because you have to look, look, at, look back and, and say, do I really want to take these trees down or do I want to do this or do I want to change you know, what I originally thought we were going to do. And I remember you saying that first year it was only you and maybe one or two other guys doing that clearing. Was that all three rounds of clearing? That was just oh, yes. the one or two or three? Yeah. Well, the, I'd say the first two. And then once we knew exactly what what we were going to do, I brought in a logging company. Okay. And then we, we started doing doing it on a much faster scale. Was there any point, and I'm, maybe there wasn't, I don't know, but was there any point in those first five years from the, the start of the land acquisition to opening in 2002 when you just thought, can I just go back to developing subdivisions? Can I just go back to the car washes and oh, the storage oh my, units? My God, there were so many times I, uh, I had tears in my eyes more times than I have fingers and toes because... <laughs> It 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 was it was so so much bigger and and I've been on a lot of big jobs but nothing is like trying to go out in the woods and build a golf course especially when you never did it before and you're doing it with your own equipment and your own guys it was a monumental task and and there were many times that I I I, I regretted doing it absolutely it was it it was I was at a point of no return I you know I I had a keep borrowing more money and and I, I I was I was so wrong about how much it was going to cost <laughs> to do I was so wrong and uh, and it, it there were there were many times that I I, I I said to myself this is probably the biggest mistake I ever made and there you you can't turn back I mean uh, you know once once you you start on this especially once you start seeding the golf course you created a Frankenstein now that's the other thing I really didn't think about because, you know, we built the first nine holes and while we're building the other nine and I, you know, we grasped it and started growing it in. Well, now, now you need all, a lot of equipment to maintain what you already planted and then you, you have to pay all these people. So now you're, 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 you're you have a lot more labor costs and now you have fertilizer and you have all the other aspects of, 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 of taking care of, of, of a nine-hole golf course with, with basically, you know, no, no revenue coming in. And it was a while. I mean, it was a few years, right? Oh, yeah. It, it was, yeah. In terms of land acquisition, I, mean, I think you said 375 total acres that you acquired uh, leading up to 97. That, that was everything. That was the golf course and then all the uh, housing units that surrounded all the, I think it was 375 total units around it yes I think I well I had the initial golf course land by 97 but then uh, then I, I you know I was under construction already and then I acquired another uh, 110 so that brought me up to about the 375 but okay. that that's where all the housing went is the land that I acquired after I know you said it took a while to do but to, how do you even acquire patchwork 375 acres together it was really hard. I, I, I was, you know, I, I did a lot of subdivisions, and um, uh, I had given my card to a, a local realtor here, 
and and I told her if she ever found anything to give me a call. Well, she had this hundred acre farm here, and you know I came out looked at it, and it, it uh, you know obviously it, it wasn't enough for the course. But then I started walking in the back, and the, the property just was spectacular with the elevation changes. And I found the owner; he was an older guy, and it was his family. Uh, it was a nursery, and uh, they grew Christmas trees and uh, a lot of other plants and all that stuff. And, and uh, he uh, he wanted to sell it. It was in a, five or six different pieces, and I I uh, I, I made an uh, actually a handshake deal with the guy that you know I didn't have the money to buy all the property at one time, but I you know he sell it to me as I was able to get enough money. So. <laughs> You know, that worked out pretty well. He was a man of his word, and I ended up uh, acquiring a lot of the other property that I needed um, to, to do the course. There was some mineral rights on it. It was all sand and gravel, and one of the, uh, one of the companies that had the mineral rights they ended up waving off the mineral rights because the sand just wasn't good enough for making concrete or asphalt because it wasn't really sharp sand, but it ended up being just the perfect medium for not only growing the grass but we were able to make all our own greens mixes to build the greens and, and the awesome. teas which was f fantastic advantage money-wise. No, I'm not surprised that you actually grew all that on site given everything else that you did firsthand. Um, yeah the the gentleman we used to, to, to do when it was ready to start trying to build the greens. His name was Dick Pasalis and his son Eric from uh, Brookside Labs. They're, uh, they're probably the two best guys in the whole country, and I didn't know it at the time, but Dick Pasalis, I mean, he's from, you know, from doing work at Augusta to Oakmont, Oak Hill. He, he was at Riviera when he told them to grow the greens in, and they decided to put sod on there, and it just was a disaster, but you know, Dick came out and we, you know, went to three or four different sand pits and took samples. And then we also took samples of the sand that I had in the back. And, you know, he called me up and he said, Joe, he said, this, this is the second time I've ever seen this in all the years I've been doing this work. He says that this material is so good that if you set up a screen plant, you screen it out, you're, you basically have a USGA mix coming right out of the ground. And he said the only other golf course I've ever seen that could do this was uh, Sand Hills he did for Ben Crenshaw in Nebraska. So I, uh, I rented a screen plant and we made all the material on site. So all the tees and greens uh, was all on site. And in fact, we just built another new green on uh, one of the holes. I, finally fixing one of my last mistakes. I, 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 it's the last big mistake I made and I'm fixing it. So I built a new green and we did the same thing. We set the screen plant up again and made, made the material and the green's growing in right now. Hard work, leg work, you did all the prep, you did all the, the hard work to acquire it. You still needed luck. Oh, I had oh, absolutely positive. I, I was so lucky. I, I, you know, I, you know, I owned all the property free and clear and I still put you know a lot of money cash in and uh, I I I could it wouldn't be possible without the good friends I had at 
National City Bank, which is now PNC, because you know I, I, I knew a lot of these guys when they were young and I was young growing up and we were they, you know when I was building car washes and developments and you know as we got older these guys became some of the top guys in the bank and and you know every every time I you know I need I ran out of money they'd give me more money without having to go to loan committee because they had that authority to do that but then it got to the point where we couldn't do anymore and I had to go to loan committee with the, with the real estate which is a real real pain in the neck and and you know but they they uh they came through for me I mean I take them out here and they they couldn't understand what I was doing it looked like you know probably Vietnam with the B-52s flying over and bombing I mean it was just you know I have pictures of what it looked like I mean you you can't even understand what 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 where the halls were going to go because there were no drawings and, and uh, you know I I I, th I thank them number one number two the the city here I I I don't think anybody could could build a golf course in any major area like I did without even submitting blueprints I mean the the this the the city was a lot different than it is mm -hmm. now because that was a long time ago they've they're not the same. You couldn't do it here any more than anywhere else without going through all the approvals and all of that. So they uh, they let me do it, and I you know I went in the mayor's office with the the city engineer at the time, and 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 like I said, this was a real laid back place, and uh, you know I told them I wanted to do the golf course, and they said, well, well that's great, we really like to see it, and the engineer says, well you just you know. Are you gonna? When can you submit the plans? And I, I said I don't have any plans. And he looked at me, and, and I had Pete Dye's book. <laughs> and I had the page where he talked about a job that he did, and they had spent all this money doing all these drawings, and he basically threw them in the waste basket because he's gonna do it the way he's gonna do it. And he go, you know, how he he explained how he go out in the in the field and he do a simple, you know, line sketch of the holes and then they go start building the course. And after I got done saying that, the engineer looked at me and he said, "Well, you're not Pete Dye." <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's exactly true. <laughs> and you know, I mean, there was so much luck. So. You know, besides the money issue, now now I'm really ready to start doing the shaping work. And we had a lot of good equipment operators that worked for for you know my dad and, and when I ran the company, and a lot of them retired and they come back and work for me. But none of them are shapers, and 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 and, 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 and the the real secret to any great golf course is the shaping. Okay. And, and a guy that can do the shaping work is an artist. He's not a bulldozer operator. He's an artist, okay? And he's an artist instead of using uh, a, a canvas and, 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 and brushes and paint, he's using a six-way blade on a small, you know, dozer and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a mini, and an excavator. And, and he can do and, and take a pile of dirt and make it look beautiful. And I knew that, and I needed to find a guy. So I'm, you know, I'm ready to put an ad in... Uh, in the in the in the magazine trying to look for one and all of a sudden a guy shows up on my site his name was matt loose and matt lived in suffield ohio which is not far from the site and he just 
got off the plane from Cleveland Hopkins Airport coming home. He had heard about a course being built, so he stopped over, <laughs> and, 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 and he said he worked for uh, Wadsworth Construction. Wadsworth Construction back then was the largest uh, golf course contractor in the U.S. and I think maybe even the world because Matt was doing courses in the United Arab Emirates and he just finished a Desmond Muirhead course uh, and he was coming home and he said you know, he just didn't want to travel anymore. He would love to, you know, just live at home and, and, and work. And he said, are you looking for a shaper? I said, yeah, I, I really am. Hmm. And he says, well, can I do something for you to see? You know, I said, yeah. And I, I had cut out a bunch of pictures out of Golf Digest and there was this beautiful hole and there was a green and there was a big hill along the back of it. And the, the guy that did the shaping work put these beautiful grass bunkers all the way down. I mean, it was just a masterpiece. And uh, I had a, a hole just kind of like that. It's hole 16. And uh, it was all, you know, cleared and all that stuff, but there was really nothing there. And I, I showed Matt the picture, and I said, I'd really like to do something like this back here. He says, okay, well, come back at the end of the day, and, let, and if you like what I do, you can hire me. So I came back, and I, I'll tell you what, you could take that picture of, of that whole 16 roughed in, and you'd swear that was the picture of the finished product. You know, he just did a great job. So, you know, I, I hired Matt, and, and I, I'll tell you what, I mean, Matt, Matt knew so much about building a course. I mean, you, 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 you could take any guy you want that does a lot of big jobs. You know, I don't care if it's highway work or, you know, big jobs building buildings, but a golf course, there's, there's so much more to it. And uh, he, 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 he really helped me a lot. And then Matt got his brother, Chris, that, that he, he were ready to do, you know, a lot of the other work. And Chris was uh, either assistant superintendent or superintendent. I think he was at uh, Mayaku Lakes down in Florida. And Chris came up and, you know, we met and we're on the site here. And, you know, and he said, I, w I would really love to do this with my brother, you know, being able to we'll put all the irrigation in and we'll build a green. We'll do all of this stuff and we'll do it. And I, and I told him, I said, Chris, if you tell people that you're going to come up here and do this with me, they're going to think you're crazy. I said, I don't even tell people. Honestly, I it got to the point, I wouldn't tell people I was doing this because they really thought, I mean, they look at me like, you, you have to be crazy. You think you're going to be able to do this? And, and, you know, Chris called me up and he said, I just left the meeting with my general manager. He says, they offered me $10,000 more to stay. And I told him, no, I'm still going to go. And he said, it's exactly what you said. He asked me, he says, well, what are you going to do up there? And he says, well, I'm going to build this golf course with the owner and my brother. <laughs> and the general manager says, who designed it? He says, well, you know, the owner did, and we're all going to help. And, and it's like he told me, Chris, you're crazy. You're going to leave one of the nicest private clubs here in South Florida, and you're going to go up there and just go and start doing a golf course. And he said, yeah, I want to do it. I'll never get another chance to do this. So, you know, he came up, and then, then the next major crisis was trying to get help, okay? And we had an ad in the paper. 
people would come, they'd leave, they'd work an hour or two. They, 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 they didn't want any part of doing this kind of manual work. And you're never going to get a golf course done without finish work. You could have all the rock hounds and all the finish equipment you have, but if you want a beautiful job, you're never going to get away from doing handwork. Mm -hmm. I mean, the final, the final cleanup, you know. Well, all of a sudden, Chris calls me. He says, come on up right away. He says, there's a white van up front. And it's, and it's, a, it's a bunch of Mexicans looking for work. So we went up there, and these guys had just come driving up from North Carolina. And they drove and saw the work on the freeway, so they got off. And the one guy's name was Benito. What a gentleman. The guy spoke beautiful English. And he, he said, are you looking for guys? I said, yeah, absolutely. I need a lot of guys. He says, how many? I says, how many can you get? Well, <laughs> that, turned, that turned into, at, at the peak, we had 35 guys wow. that he brought. And I had an old farmhouse here, actually where this driving range was sitting, when I, the, one of the last pieces I bought. And I, we, we put, you know, converted and helped, you know, with the housing and all of that. And... Uh, if if I didn't have those guys, I never, I never would have finished this course. I probably would have went broke. I mean, there was no way I could have ever got this place built. I mean, they they saved me because even back then, it's way worse now. You, I could, I mean, you can, you can't you can't get anybody to do anything. That's our biggest problem. We can't get enough guys to maintain the course today, and and, and we're paying way more money. Yeah, we're paying more money like. Every other business is paying a lot more money for labor, and uh, we, we can't get enough to even think about maintaining the course, let alone building a course. And something as big as this, you need you, you need you need at least 30, 30 guys doing that kind of work, whether it be putting the drain tile in, finish grading, do, doing doing all that 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 handwork. So they they were they were the the you know when I was down. I mean, down and out. All of a sudden, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and oh, I, I really think it was destiny. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, every time I was down and out, it, it, it's like there was a light there at the end of the tunnel, and the, you know, we got it done. I mean, we, we, we got it done, and it came out really nice, and uh, we made the number eight best new course in America with Golf Digest, and there was over 300 courses I think that opened that year, and I mean, I, I thought it was nice, but. You know, I, I mean, I'm a realist. I mean, uh, get, getting some of that stuff is a lot of politics too. You know, it, it's 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 difficult if you're just charged a client a million and a half or two million dollars for designing the course and you don't make it, and some schluck out there in Streetsboro, Ohio, makes it. I mean, it, it you know that 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 enters into it. So I really never thought that we would uh, that we would get that designation but uh, we did and there again I think I, 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 I owe a lot there was a gentleman that he was a member at Oakmont and and Seminole and he came with one of his friends and played the course and when he was done he he told me how much he really really liked the course and he might have been a national panelist because I know national panelists their 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 rating is many more times the rating of say a local panelist 
And I had another lady that came down from Michigan. She really liked the course too with Golf Digest, and uh, I, 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 I think both of their their opinions weighed heavily in in, in us getting that. So, and I called Ron Witten, who who mm -hmm. was a golf course uh, architect editor at the time. He wrote me a nice letter, you know, telling us that we we, we got the designation, and and uh, I got to talk to him and it. I, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but at, at that, since up to 2003, he told me I was the only amateur that ever made that list. So I was I was pretty happy. But it it wasn't just, listen, it, it was everybody that I had. I, I could have never done it. I mean, you know, just like any architect, if you don't if you don't have the shape or you don't have the, the handwork and you, you, you don't have the everybody, you know, uh, you know, I went to Ohio State, and Woody Hayes was, you know, he lives in infamy at Ohio State, and he wrote a book, and you don't even have to read it. It'll tell you a lot about life. He, he wrote a book. It was called you, you Win With People. And just like Woody Hayes or any, you know, coach or any, anybody building a golf course, you, you, you have to have people. And it, if not, you're, you're, you're probably not going to be successful. Reading all those books to educate yourself saved me from making so many of the mistakes that, that say the average amateur makes trying to do this. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you're, you're learning from the best. And, and, and what the most interesting part is, the modern day guys, if it's Pete Dye or any of the other guys, they all comment how they read a lot of the, 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 the old guys like Tillinghast and Alistair McKenzie and Donald Ross, they, they read those. Those are like the, like the, the gospel. I mean, you're, 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 you're learning from, from the greats of the greats and you're taking that, luckily that they, 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 they left that for, for other people to read, you know, to, to educate yourself. And uh, like Pete Dye, he, he went to Europe. He, he studied a, a lot of the old courses there. And, you know, I remember a reading where Pete Dye says, you never get it right the first time. And, and he, and Donald Ross, he always kept tinkering with his whole uh, number two course at Pinehurst. I mean, there's, there's, it, it's, it's, it's always evolving. I mean, the, it, things change, just especially the, like I said, the drainage. Absolutely. You read all these books. Are you working on your own at some point? I, I really, I really haven't thought about doing that. I because uh, your I, life is a book. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I was, I was so lucky that I got a chance to do this because if it was just about making money, I would have been farther ahead. I have a chain of self storage facilities. I could have probably built another six, eight, ten self storage facilities, and I, I, I mean, I would be so far better off but you know it's it's you know life's more but you know i'm lucky that 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 i have the wherewithal that this is this is like a, a, a you know like a passion and a love and i mean if you if you really love golf i mean you talk to any golfer i mean their dreams to if they could have the talent to play on the tour or or, or build a course like i did i mean and, and so many guys want to hear this story because it's like everybody's dream i mean it, and and I, I was lucky enough that I got to live it, and I and I and, and I succeeded at it because m most people that, that build a new golf course, and I'm talking about pr with professionals. I mean, 
the contractors, the architects, most of them fail because the debt load is so high. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, a bunch of bankers, we laugh about it. They always say that they don't even want to look at a golf course till you're on the third owner, (laughs) because by that time it's priced at about what it's really worth. And it's never anywhere near what it costs to build. That's funny. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that, but that, that's a good line. I like that. Well, there are many courses that sell for more money than what it costs to build. When I first opened the course, I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I, I was so worried because it's like I did this. If guys don't like this course and they, they, they don't like it <laughs> and they, they say it, it, they don't like it at all, I mean, I, I, I knew I was going to be in financial peril and and uh, when I opened the course up I got a letter from this guy back then there wasn't really email mm-hmm. and this guy I think I still remember his name I think his name was Jim Spears and he wrote me this letter that he wrote you know played the course and he was going to give me an A for effort but he, he gave me a D He's, on the whole course and I read that letter and I I was de- I was really devastated. Yeah. I really was, and I told my wife. I said, "I I don't feel good about this." And in about I don't know a month later, I I got the best. You know, made the top ten course. <laughs> and I wish I had that letter because I always I would I would have loved to frame that next <laughs> the letter from it Golf Digest. Go yeah. go right up behind the counter. Yeah, there. yeah. I really wish I would have. I, I I don't know what happened to it. I I I I always think about that because, you know. And the other thing is, it doesn't matter who designed it. It, it, it if guys aren't and, and ladies and, and and men don't want to come and 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 pay their hard earned money to play the course, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I spent 15 years in Hilton Head and. And Pete Dye redid one of the courses uh, over in uh, in Sea Pines. Yeah. That course was so hard. I think they spent eleven million dollars. It was so hard the locals wouldn't play it. And I think Pete Dye came back two more times yeah. after that to try to change the course and make it more playable because it was it was it, you know it was not playable for the average guy. My thanks again to Joe Salimi of Boulder Creek Golf Club in Streetsboro, Ohio, and to our game plan columnist, Henry Delosier. My thanks, too, to all of you for listening to Beyond the Page and the rest of the podcasts here on the Superintendent Radio Network and for helping advance this great industry a little further every day. We'll be back every Tuesday with more episodes of Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and Tartan Talks. For Golf Course Industries Editor-in-Chief... Guy Cipriano, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening.